of the consciousness to take pleasure singing and dancing. We find in every society, in every part of the world, when there is a celebration, there is a music, there is singing, there is dancing. Usually nobody tries to talk when there's when the singing and music and dancing is going on. Can anybody hear me? I cannot hear me. You'll have to tell me what I said after. <laughs> so Spiritual life does not mean to extinguish our natural tendencies. It simply means to connect our consciousness with Krishna through our natural tendencies. In fact, that is why Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has explained that in this age of Kali Yuga, there is no more sublime process of self-realization and purification than singing, dancing, and chanting to the name of God. Because to go to Himalayas, to fast, to sit in utter silence in meditation, to perform great, great sacrifices. It's very difficult because it's completely against the natural tendencies of our ways of life. Therefore, in Kali Yuga, it is practically impossible to perform these methods of yoga and attain the supreme destination. As we were reading the other day in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Lord Rishabdev explained, I'm sorry, it was Lord Brahma who explained that you can go to the forest and leave your home and family behind. But along with you, you have to take six wives, the mind and the five senses. And they are constantly be go going to be making demands of you. Therefore, the beginning of real spiritual advancement is to simply accept and admit that we're really not very special. We're just ordinary fallen souls. Everyone likes to think they're very special. So they try to do something very difficult, very hard. But they become frustrated. Or they come to a certain point 
and they cannot go any further. In this age of Kali Yuga, it is explained, it is an ocean of faults. Whoever you are, wherever you're born, you have a short life, a weak memory, prone to bad habits, misguided by society all around you. In this age of Kali Yuga, it is explained there is only one benediction, and that is by simply singing, dancing the name of God. Anyone, everyone can be liberated. You see our little children from the Lady Northcote Hindu Orphanage. Some of them are here tonight. Adibo. They do not speak English. Not even a single word. So right now, they're very, very patiently, painstakingly waiting for this lecture to end so they can take nice prasad. So there's really not much I can do for them now. But during the kirtan, the holy name of God is beyond all languages. It is beyond literacy or illiteracy. They were simply dancing with joy, crying out for Krishna. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And actually, in one sense, we are all orphans. Because our real mother is Srimati Radharani, and our eternal father is Lord Sri Krishna, and our real home is Vaikuntha, Goloka Vrindavan. But here we are in this strange place called the material world. We're far, far away from our mother and father in the sense that we are repeatedly unconscious of them. The eternal soul, which is full of knowledge and bliss, has to grow old, get diseased, and die due to identification with this body. We're like orphans. And the goal of life is to be reunited with our mother and father, Radha and Krishna, Sita and Ram. And how to do so? Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has taught us, the Srimad Bhagavatam has taught us, simply by chanting, dancing, in the association of the devotees of the Lord. It's simple and sublime. But because of our complicated minds, our tendency is to look for something more difficult. Because if it's so easy, it must not work. This is the illusion of Maya in action. Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has come to causelessly give love of God to everyone and anyone. Simply accept.
It is a precious gift. Actually, bhakti, the gifts of Guru and Goranga, is the most precious, valuable fortune in all the creation. Bhakti is the personification of Sita, love, devotion. But there is someone that is always trying to steal Bhakti, steal Sita out of our hearts. And that is Ravana. Tonight is a very special occasion because it is the night which commemorates the great battle which took place in Sri Lanka in the Treta Yuga. It was the battle between Ram and Ravana. Ravana was very powerful and he was very clever. How he stole Sita. You all know the story that Maricha, one of his friends and associates, was ordered by him to disguise himself as a golden deer. So beautiful, so exotic, just to capture the mind of any young lady. And how he was dancing and how he was jumping here and there was so enchanting that Sita pleaded with Ram, please catch that deer. When we go back to Ayodhya, we will have him in our palace. Nowhere is such a beautiful pet to be found. You see, the Supreme Personality of Godhead Ram is always subordinate to the love of his devotees. Sita is the supreme lover. Ram is the supreme object of love. Similarly, Arjuna, because his heart was so full of bhakti, when he told Krishna on the chariot, Parthasarati, you go this way, Krishna would go this way. I want you to drive my chariot between these two armies. Krishna drove the chariot between his two armies. And in Vrindavan, Mother Yashoda would say, Krishna, you eat. Krishna would eat. Krishna, you go to sleep. Krishna would go to sleep. Gopal, wake up. Gopal would wake up. Gopal, go herd the cows. Gopal would herd the cows. And amongst his friends, Krishna, Sridham would say, Krishna, please, let us see you imitate peacock. And Krishna would start going, and then he would start moving his neck in such a way to make all of his friends laugh. This is the nature of love, that the lover is always simply trying to fulfill the desires of the beloved. So Sita told Ram, please catch that dear Maricha. And Ram went to catch, but he knew this was a dangerous forest, the forest of Dandakaranya, 
and there were many rakshashas and dangerous animals. So he told Lakshman, you stay and you protect my Sita Devi. I am going to satisfy her desires by capturing this deer. So he went. Ah, and the plot thickens because Ravana disguised himself as a sadhu. A holy man. Because he knew exactly what the weak place or the soft place, not the weak place, but the soft place in Sita's heart was. That she was so loving and so charitable, especially to holy men. If he came in any other form, he could not have tricked her. So what happened is, Maricha, when he was going deeper, deeper, deeper into the jungles, Ram could understand that no nice little golden deer would be doing like this. This is a demon. So he took his arrow and shot it. And Maricha called out, Ram, Ram, Lakshman, I'm sorry, Lakshman, Lakshman, save me. And then he died and revealed his original Rakshasha form. Sita told Lakshman, you must go help Ram. He said, no, no, there is no danger. No, you must. He would not go. Ah, she was so worried about Ram that something could have happened. You want to violate my chastity when my husband is gone, you rascal. He could not tolerate this. So in one version of Ramayana, it is described that Lakshman made a circle, a mystic circle, around Sita. And no one could enter. As long as she remained within that circle, she was protected. And Ravana was helpless unless somehow or other he could allure her to come out of the circle. So Ravana aimed at the softest, what he considered the weakest part of her personality, her charitable disposition towards sadhus. And he said, I'm very hungry. In fact, I'm starving. Please give me some food. And she said, but I'm not allowed to leave this circle. Come in. He said, I'm so, I'm so weak. I cannot take another step. And he fell to the ground. So when she saw this, full of love and respect, she came out to help him to give him some prasad. And at that time he revealed his true form as the Rakshasha Ravana and took, him on his, took her on his chariot driven by asses and departed for Sri Lanka. Now this is very, very important. Although it is historical, it is also very symbolic. In that Ravana is the manifestation of Maya. The manifestation of that 
propensity within us to exploit what belongs to God, to lord it over the resources of material nature, to steal away all of our natural godly qualities. And how does Maya strike us? We should know. Because as soon as you take to spiritual life, you are declaring war against the illusory energy. You are declaring war against the repetition of birth and death. And it is going to be a fight. And unless you know the enemy, how the enemy works and why, then you will certainly be defeated. Because you will be caught off guard. Throughout history, the greatest strategy of the enemy is to, is to catch their enemy off guard. Just in some years ago, while World War II was going on, the Germans and the Japanese were fighting like anything, trying to conquer the world, and Europe was being conquered, and the South Pacific Islands were being conquered. And meanwhile, America was thinking, we're on the other side of the world, we're oceans away, let us just watch television and be happy. So they didn't care. And then one fine day, the least expected day, all of a sudden, Japanese plane came and bombed the entire Navy at Pearl Harbor, and there was no Navy left. And the whole country was completely shattered. Scared like anything, they started drafting every young man. All the automobile companies closed down just to make tanks and jeeps, army ammunition. For years it was like this. They hit them at the most vulnerable place at the most vulnerable time. That is the way enemy plans it out. Similarly, in 1967, in Jerusalem, there's a holiday called Yom Kippur, which is the ultimate highest holiday for the Jews. It's a holiday where every Jew must fast from sunset to the next sunset. And they're not allowed to do any work, they're not allowed to drive in any car, they're simply supposed to pray from sunset to sunset not even drink water. They prepare for many months before the year for this special holiday. So during this holiday in Israel, everyone was fasting, everyone was simply praying, and all of a sudden, thousands of soldiers marched in and bombs started dropping all over them. Huh? Because the enemy very, very carefully, strategically, and decisively found out in their minds exactly when and where is the weakest point we can attack. And this is the way Maya works. Ravana understood exactly where Sita could be weak.
because of her good nature and her charity, and he exploited it. And Ravana, this materialistic, demoniac, illusory energy within our hearts is also very, very carefully inspecting each one of us. For the gross materialist, Maya doesn't even need a strategy. They're just, she's simply manipulating everyone's lives like puppets on a string. She doesn't even have to use her intelligence. They're her slaves. But for one who takes the spiritual life, it's a battle. Somehow or other, she's trying to keep us away from Krishna. Actually, this demoniac spirit of greed and lust and envy and pride always waiting to try to find where she can take us away from Krishna. Therefore, we must be very, very careful, very, very conscientious. And that is why it is very important to have good association with spiritually minded people because they could see what we cannot see. They could see when we're being attacked by Maya, and we don't even know it, and we're pre too proud to admit it. They help us. They lift us up. They enlighten us. And that it is why we also must be very strict in our sadhana. When we take a vow to chant the holy names, Maya comes in like a needle but out like a plow. She'll somehow or other convince you, today you're tired, you don't really have to chant that much, besides you don't feel that good. Tomorrow you'll make it up. In this way she gets you to deviate a little. And then, the next day, well, look, you didn't chant your, your vow yesterday, and you're still all right, you're still a devotee, you're still blissful, so you're, you're a little tired today, too. And besides that, there's so many things to do. Don't worry about it. All right, I won't worry about it. And then a few days later, you're still a devotee, you see? I'm your friend. You're still a devotee, and, and it's not so heavy. It's not so difficult anymore, because I'm making it easier for you. So, gradually, you're fallen. You don't even know it until it's too late. A good thief doesn't just come through your front door and knock on it and ring the doorbell and say, I'm a thief, please let me in. You'll find in the middle of the night some little window, just a crack open in your basement, 
It'll very quietly sneak in. By the time you wake up, everything's gone. Maya works like that. So we have to be very careful. Ravana is always trying to take away Sita. She's always trying to steal bhakti or love from our hearts. Love of Ram. So of course, in this situation, because Sita was always crying out for Ram, she herself was the embodiment, the supreme emblem of chastity. She would not deviate from her devotion and her vows to Lord Ram. And Ravana had never met anyone like this. He tried to allure her by his wealth, by his incredible power and physical strength, by his capacity to have wonderful, inconceivable sex life, by when none of those things work, he couldn't attract her. He began to try to make her afraid that if you do not give in to my desires, I will destroy you and I will drink your blood and eat your flesh alive. And that was how he did things. It was a very real threat. These are the two ways that Maya tries to take our mind away from Krishna. Try to make us untrue to Krishna. One is by attracting us to the objects of the senses. And if that doesn't work, fear. Just look at our own lives. We're trying to be devotees. There's a crazy show on television. Ah, let me go watch this nice crazy show on television. It's attracting you. Or some people are attracted to cigarettes or alcohol or some unmentionable food stuff. Or just going to cinema to watch something that really has, makes, doesn't have anything to do with reality. Or she attracts us to some sort of fame and prestige. Trying to divert our attention away from Ram. And simultaneously, she's giving fear. If you're a devotee, your friends, they'll laugh at you. They may criticize you. They may want nothing to do with you anymore. And your employer, he might think you're crazy. And your mother and father, you'll break their hearts. And you might not make as much money. And you might not be so popular. 
In fact, you may even be persecuted. In this way, out of fear, she tries to steal away any devotional propensities we have. And if we don't understand what's going on, we will be a victim. Like Sita, we must hold firm to our vow and to our conviction that without the lotus feet of Ram, life is not worth living. She could have been the most popular queen worshipped by all in Sri Lanka. But for Ram, she was the most persecuted and hated of all people of Lanka. So of course, Ram came with the army of monkeys and it was a great, great battle. We could speak of it for hours and hours. How Kumbhakarna, how Indrajit, how they were slain. Wonderful, wonderful exhibitions of the supreme strength and glory of God. But one thing that is very interesting, which is explained in the Srimad Bhagavatam, is in this great battle, Ravana had a very, very highly trained army of Rakshashas. And these Rakshashas, most of them, they had mystic power. They could display all sorts of illusions. And they were expert not only at killing, but of drinking the blood of their victims. They were vicious. In the literal sense, they were bloodthirsty. You've heard that word in India, bloodthirsty? When somebody's terribly wicked. But they were literally bloodthirsty. When they were on the battlefield, they were simply longing to drink the opponent's blood, fresh and warm. To them it was like nectar. And plus, they had the most sophisticated weapons of the day. On the contrary, Ram, in his entire army, there was only two weapons. Ram had a bow and arrow, and Lakshman had a bow and arrow. And all the others, all they had was their claws and their teeth. and whatever they could just grab onto. Sometimes they'd grab a tree, sometimes they'd grab a rock and just throw it. So what chance is there? By material standards, it was impossible for them to even begin to fight against this sophisticated army of Rakshashas. But you see, Ram, specifically and purposely designed it in this way. Why? Because he wanted to show 
the whole world for all time to come that if you're on my side you will be victorious if you are against me you will be destroyed don't consider any material calculations that's all you have to know nothing could defeat my devotee so in this great battle many things took place and Ravana was seeing his brother all of his sons all of his generals they were all being destroyed by the mighty arrows of Ram and Lakshmi and his wife Mandodari, she was repeatedly pleading, just send Sita back to Ram. He is the supreme personality of Godhead. You cannot defeat him. You cannot exploit what is his. You will be destroyed. He was getting so much good advice. His own brother was telling him. His own wife was telling him. But when one becomes infatuated by lust and pride, one loses all intelligence. One cannot hear. He was so intoxicated that he thought that he was the greatest person in all of creation. So, he boarded his beautiful chariot and went into the battlefield of Lanka and he was so powerful he had attained benedictions from both Brahma and Shiva and this benedictions made him practically invincible and undefeatable and as he was charging through the through the military flanks of the monkey soldiers he was destroying them by the thousands. They could not even look at him. He was so ferocious and so cruel and so powerful that alas they had to come running back to Ram. And when Ram saw that his devotees were being disturbed, then he could no longer tolerate. Ram did not even have a chariot. You know, in Ram's whole army, there wasn't a single horse, there wasn't a single elephant, there wasn't a single chariot. All the Rakshashas, they had elephants, they had horses, they had chariots, they had infantries. Ram, everyone was just walking. The monkeys were just walking and just throwing rocks. Can you imagine fighting a war like that? Can you imagine if the Pakistani army came with their nuclear bombs that they're about to create and, and, their, um, and all of their weapons that they bought from the, my proud land of America and, <laughs> and, and the Indian army just dropped all their guns and started throwing stones at them and started throwing tree branches at them. If they were chanting the names of Ram, they would win. <laughs> but if they're not chanting the names of Ram, 
I do not know what, what would happen. So this was the situation. And when Ram saw this, he came with his bare feet onto the battlefield to face Ram, Ravana. And when they looked at one another, Ravana became ferociously angry. But just at that time, Indra came down and gave his beautiful chariot to Ram with his chariot driver. Matali was his name. And all of his weapons and said, Ram, you fight with this. And Ram looked at Ravana and he said, you are a lowly dog. Just as a dog sneaks into the kitchen when nobody is around to steal the foodstuffs, when I was absent, you have stole my wife Sita. If you would have come to try to lay one finger on her in my presence, you would have been the food for the dogs and the vultures. You dull-minded, cruel Rakshasha. Now prepare for your entrance into the realm of Yamaraj. And then they began to fight. And they were both shooting piercing, piercing arrows at one another. And everyone simply was struck with wonder at this great, great battle. The demigods from the higher planets, everyone in the battlefield, they simply stood motionless watching. And at times it appeared that Ravana was about to destroy Ram. But who can destroy God? It is described that just like a cat, when it is playing, when it is about to kill a mouse, usually a cat just does not simply kill the mouse. Because just killing is not fun. They like to play with it first. They catch it. Then they let it go. Then they catch it again. Then they let it go. Then they catch it. And sometimes they make the mouse think that you're going to defeat me. You're going to get away. You're going to kill me. But it's all play. And finally, when all things are said and done, the mouse is dead. So in the same way, simply for the sake of putting excitement into his pastimes, just to attract our minds. Do you know how little children are so inclined toward war stories? It's unbelievable. It's like uh, when Ramayan and Mahabharat was on TV, when I would go visit our friends, 
houses. Their children, they were practically never enacting the romantic scenes. There were so many of those. They were never enacting the philosophical scenes, but they were always enacting the war scenes, beating each other with clubs, shooting each other with bows and arrows. I'm Ram, I will kill you. Huh? I'm Bhima, I will smash your head. Even at Nuvrindavan, we tell the children all these beautiful stories. They're not so concerned about Krishna dancing with gopis. But when you start talking about Krishna killing demons, they're all like at the edge of their seats. Jai Shri Krishna, Jai Shri Krishna. When you start talking Mahabharata, they're just, please tell me Mahabharata, tell me Mahabharata. You see, it is a natural tendency to want to enjoy exciting war stories. In fact, I don't know about the movie industry in India, but in America, the best movies are always war movies. Cowboys and Indians killing each other, or World War I or World War II or Civil War or some crime movie. Somehow or other, for some reason, people in this material world just have a very, very deep tendency to be excited and entertained by violence and intrigue. So Krishna is so merciful, he's so kind. He wants to attract all of our minds. So therefore, he performs leelas with the most incredible war stories that Cecil B. DeMille's nobody could ever, the farthest reaches of their imagination, they can never put on such a production. The description of Ramayan, of the battle between Ram and Ravana, simply captivating to the mind how they were both being pierced by arrows. Ravana was dis disappearing, becoming invisible, showering arrows on Ram, blood was flowing from his body. Then Ram took his sharpest arrows and severed two of the heads of Ravana. He had ten heads and instantly they grew back. Then he sliced off another two heads and they grew back and he sliced off another and they grew back. And Vibhishan took Ram to the side and said, Ram, he has a benediction from Brahma that whenever anyone cuts off his arms or heads, they grow back. He was cutting off his arms, they grow back. Heads grow back. What to do? Ram knew this. You see, Ram is so considerate to his devotees that Lord Brahma is one of his nicest, best devotees. And Brahma gave him this benediction. So Lord Ram did not want to make a liar out of Brahma. And just like Ram Krishna told Arjuna, You declare it, Arjuna, my devotee will never perish. If I declare it, people may not believe. But if you declare it, people will always believe because they know that I will never make a liar out of my devotee.
I will never break the dignity of my devotee by, by making him untruthful. So therefore, by the arrangement of Ram, he was allowing those heads to come back, just to respect Brahma's promise. But then he took the sharpest and the most strong of all of his arrows. It was a golden arrow. It was more powerful than all the demigods' weapons put together. And when he pulled it back in his bow, a thunderous sound filled the entire universe. And when he released that arrow, that shaft soared through the air with a brilliant effulgence lighting all directions. And it struck the heart of Ravana. Some of the great acharyas comment that the reason why he didn't shoot his heart at the very beginning was a very special reason was because Ravana was so lusty and attached to Sita that she was always in his heart because you know the mind is in the heart as long as you're thinking of somebody that person is in your heart so Sita was in the heart of Ravana and because Sita is always thinking of Ram, Ram was also in the heart of Ravana. Let me try to say that again. Ram was always in the heart of Sita. Because Sita was always thinking of Ram, and Ravana was always thinking of Sita, Sita was in Ravana's heart, Ram was in Sita's heart, so therefore, by killing Ravana would be committing suicide. <laughs> if he were to shoot the heart. And not only that, because Ram is the controller of all the 14 worlds, by shooting the heart of Ravana, by killing Sita, They were shocked. They couldn't believe it. Ravana has fallen. The king of Sri Lanka is dead. They just were so disoriented. They just began to run away in fear. And Hanuman, Sugriva, Angada, uh, Sureshana, all the monkey soldiers, they just began to jump up and down and chant, Jairam, Jairam, Jairam. Like that. And while the monkeys were celebrating and the uh, demigods were showering flowers and beating kettle drums celebrating, just like you heard those, they're not exactly kettle drums, but some sort of drums. Celebrating with drums is everywhere. The demigods were celebrating by beating drums, uh, singing, dancing. And at that time, Mandodari, the wife of Ravana, came out of the palace. 
and she was crying. She was weeping and weeping and weeping because after all, she was a chaste and faithful wife. Even though Ravana was such a terrible, mischievous Asura, she was actually a godly person. And she came out and her head laid on the breast of Ravana as she bathed him with her tears and she began to speak. She said, Ravana, you have met the destiny that you have deserved. You are so foolish. Sita was the property of Ram. Ram is the supreme personality of Godhead. He is the supreme enjoyer. He is the supreme controller. Because you have tried to exploit what is dear and beloved to the Lord, we warned you, but now you have died. Such a terrible death. In truth, Mandodari is speaking to all of us. She's warning all of us. She warned Ravana so many times. For one who tries to exploit the resources of this world for their own enjoyment, the result is death. For one who respects that everything belongs to Ram and acts in such a capacity of servant of Ram, there is no death but eternal life. Of course, we all know <clears throat> that Lord Ram is not gone today. In his physical, not physical, but in his avatar, as the son of Dasarat, he left this world and went back to the supreme Vaikuntha, Ayodhya Dham. But he has remained in this world within the sound of his name. When we chant the holy name of Ram and we allow that name to make its presence within our hearts then all obstacles, all demoniac qualities will be destroyed. Cheto Dharapana Marajanam Bhava Mahadavagni Nirvapanam. This is the prime benediction for all humanity, the holy name of God. Because it is explained, Nam Nam Akari Bahutanija Saravashaktis, that all the power, all the strength, all the glory of God is within the sound of the name. But you see, we have to chant from the heart. If we simply chant ritualistically with our lips, Ram will be on our lips, Krishna will be on our lips. But if we attentively and prayful, prayerfully chant from our hearts, then the name of God, the personality of Godhead, 
will be within our hearts to slay all the Ravanas, to slay all the illusions, to slay the lust, the envy, the anger, the greed, the pride, the illusions within us. So let us all, on this wonderful occasion of Dasera, celebrate the killing of Ravana by Sri Ram, by glorifying his holy name. We would like to thank very much Dr. Sitaram Alva and his good wife Maya for making this wonderful evening possible. Tonight they had a beautiful welcoming ceremony for the deity of the Murti of Lord Sri Krishna as well as Panduranga, Vitaladev, Hanuman and Garuda. So if you have not done so already, before you leave, please go into his beautiful little temple room and have the darshan of the Lord. And of course, they have decorated this simple terrace in such a nice way. What do we need? The simplest thing. We could make it beautiful by just filling it with devotees and chanting Hare Krishna. Huh? Is there anywhere else you would rather be tonight than this little rooftop in the middle of this crazy city of Bombay? Huh? Why? Because Krishna is being glorified. Wherever Krishna is being glorified, it becomes the spiritual world. When Dr. Alva and Maya Devi invited us all, they are actually doing great, great service for all humanity. Because they're bringing the devotees together to cry out the name of Krishna. And that joint effort of chanting Krishna's name will fill the atmosphere and purify everyone. This is great charity. Thank you very much.